Hey there, it's your friendly neighborhood podcast producer, Colin here. Uh, to give you a little bit of bad news, uh, of course, long-time listeners will know that whenever you hear my voice on the actual podcast, that means you're not getting an original episode, and today is no different. Unfortunately, Sarah Jane is still sick. Uh, she caught this terrible dose that Emma had last week, um, and she is out of action. So we were wondering what we could possibly do to keep you guys entertained on this, which is actually our three-year anniversary. So what we're going to do is give you a preview of a very special series that we've been doing on the Patreon. We're up to episode three now. It's called MM Icons. So basically, MM Icons takes a story of a celebrity, a designer, an artist, anyone who we feel deserves a spotlight shone on them for good reasons, for bad reasons, because we like them, because we find them interesting, many, many reasons uh, for why they deserve to be on the show. It's not murder related, but it is very, very interesting. So this week on the, the Patreon, Emma did Lee Bowery, who was a very, very influential fashion designer, iconic performance artist, inspired many, many drag queens, and she dives into the good and bad of Lee Bowery. Uh, we've also done it with Eartha Kitt. Sarah Jane did a fantastic job on the life and career of Eartha Kitt just after her death. Um, I'm going to be doing Tina Turner very soon. Of course, everybody knows that I've been very, very badly affected by the death of poor Tina Turner. So uh, we're going to do an MMI Cons episode on her in the very near future. But what we're going to do today is rewind all the way back to February of this year when we did our first MMI Cons episode, uh, which Emma did about the artist Diane Arbus. So please do enjoy this interesting episode. It's actually a full episode of the Patreon. So we've got the credits, we've got the chat at the start, we've got the uh, mailbag, uh, and we really, really hope that you enjoy it. So thank you so much uh, for your support once again. And by the way, thank you so much for our two sellout shows at the Sugar Club in Dublin. We're absolutely blown away that uh, you guys will not just listen to this silly little podcast but would also spend your hard-earned cash on tickets to come see us. And we can't wait to uh, spend a couple of evenings uh, with you. So enough of my yakking. Uh, please enjoy this episode of MM Icons from the Patreon uh, on Diane Arbus. If you would like to join up to the Patreon, it's six euros a month. Um, and um, I'm sure Emma will pop a link uh, in the episode description. Thanks a lot, folks. Bye-bye. <laughs> Irish Patreon is filmed in front of a deaf cat in Ballyfermot. I feel like we're, I'm very far away from the microphone. Come close to my friend. Is that purposely done? No, I think he just... I'll kill this motherfucker. He's always trying to cut me out um, on his fucking thing. Okay, yeah, we have... Uh, yeah, okay. Just, I was just making sure we had, I had the comments on the thing. Hello! Hey, everybody. This is the Patreon. <laughs> I am tired. Sarah Hi, is here. It's the Patreon... And Colin does this on a Friday now. Yeah, he's very excited about it being he's on a Friday. He's very excited about the fact that he 
has put off work for an entire five days. He loves it. He's having a great time. Um, um, but hello, welcome back to Patreon again this week. Um, nothing has happened, I don't think. Has it? Uh, loads has happened. Has it? What's yeah. Happened? What's happened? Uh, my tooth is wobbly. Wapa! She is wobbly! I am a child. I love playing with my wobbly tooth. Don't play with your wobbly teeth. What happens? Because you're going to hurt yourself. On the internet, Tom, I'm going to die of a heart attack because of my you're wobbly tooth. You're not going to die of a heart attack because of your wobbly tooth. <laughs> the internet will tell you you'll be dead in two weeks. Uh, like, it told me don't ever listen that, to the internet. And I was like, well, fuck it. I hope I do. <laughs> no, you're not going to die of a heart attack because of your wobbly tooth. Apparently, actually, but to be honest, what? according to the internet, apparently one of the things that can happen when you've got poor dental hygiene is it will affect your heart. Yeah, I've heard that before, actually. And yeah. it's a massive indicator of like other health issues as well. Like what? Like if you have bad teeth, it can be an indicator of cancers and um, uh, autoimmune diseases. And yeah. Like that. Yeah. I've got an autoimmune disease called having shitty parents it's called having a genetically fucked up parents I think my parents were cousins or something but that doesn't explain the other two what other two Michaela and Richie oh yeah but maybe I'm not my ma's maybe I'm not my dad's maybe you're adopted maybe no you're something. literally your father yeah it's if true if we put an, a red wig on your father and sent him out yeah people be like that's her and they were like oh look at her she looks look, great she's she lost a lot of weight you don't look she? anything like your mum I don't think no I don't think she was involved in the process I really don't think you do and then I see I don't, but I don't know who looks like your mum Oh, uh, a young Caroline, like a younger Caroline. Yeah. My sister does. Michaela does. Yeah. What about kind Richie? of, but like, I just questions now over Michaela's birthright. <laughs> what about Richie? Does he look like? Uh, he looks like my grandma Mo. Ah, yes, you told me that before. Like image of him. Because yeah, I just I would never like you can never deny your father because fucking hell. You no, I really look like sometimes when my hair is messy and it's cli- you know that sometimes when I clip it up in like a bun like this. Yeah, I'm the image of my auntie Anne. I catch wind of myself. I don't think I've met your auntie. You Anne. have the one that was there when I was like, giving birth in the square. Oh, yes, she's lovely. Just she wasn't giving birth, but she was in labour, and we didn't know. Yeah, uh, she's lovely. Yeah, sometimes when I'm especially she's so she always fun. wears like an oversized t-shirt. Oh, and like a pair of like leggings and whenever I'm that and like have my hair up. up in a bun sometimes I'll, or if I've got my glasses on I'll catch like sight of myself in the mirror and I'll be like Jesus I'm the image of my auntie Anne. yeah her son is lovely as well yeah like, son is like, this is us literally talking like old ones right now her son ah her son is gorgeous he's a gorgeous daughter, fella her daughter um, no but I had I actually had something to talk about and now it's gone out of my brain uh, I'm quitting the podcast. We're quitting the podcast. I'm quitting the Patreon, and everybody you know can what? go fuck themselves. No, I'm not. Uh, I just want to call talk about the police in America. Oh, do you not think it was odd that those five black officers were like fired before we saw the body cam footage? Oh, well, of course they were fired. Like, because it was five white officers. They wouldn't have been fired. Like, they would have been put on a. I get like I'm not. I'm not in any way trying to defend what they did. But do you not think that it was like in any, not dealt with in any way like it is when I was no, a white officer? No, if it was white, we should look at Derek Chauvin when he killed um, George Floyd. Like they had, him. they had murdered him. They had to like fight to get him removed from the force. Yeah, I was just like, like every time I've ever seen this, it's like they're suspended with pay while investigations are ongoing. But these motherfuckers were like, and they fucking deserve to be. They deserve everything that's happening to they them. They deserve to be put under the jail, right yeah. under the jail. Um, them. What were they thinking? What were Emma? What were they apparently doing? Apparently, some form of special. So it's uh, they're in a subsection of the police force that has extra finances to deal with like areas that have like heightened crime. Okay, I think they were called Scorpio. Oh, that was like you know the way the police give themselves stupid names. Stupid names. They 
bet him senseless. It's beyond what I can even comprehend. I I don't understand why. I I, I just think I just was. I didn't look at it. I'll never look at that video. I don't see anything like that. I did, I watched some of. So I watched very little of you know the street cam footage. Yeah. Not the body, not cam, the body footage. cam footage. Yeah. And I was just like, what on earth? Like he why? was clear and not like I get. He ran away. Yeah. Because he was fucking he was terrified. terrified. But at no point when they caught him, what like did he they, wouldn't do anything. Did they cuff him and put him in a car. They just bet the they shit ju- out of they, him. They murdered him. Like, they beat him to death. I was like, what on earth is happening? It's bizarre. The whole thing is just fucked. Like, and I don't understand it. And I just, uh, I just don't understand. Like, it's not getting any better. If anything, it's getting worse. And then they're like the police force being like, we call for like. <clears throat> peaceful protest you don't you don't know what peaceful is motherfucker. burn it down like, burn it down, burn it down. But it's, the same thing. it's amazing to watch currently what's happening in France be ignored by the wider news mm. because the wider news are in the back pockets of every politician in the world and they're like do not put this French shit on the internet yeah. and do not give people ideas because they're like they cut off the power to politicians homes because yeah. we're like we're not doing this you are not raising the age of, of retirement and that's how you do it and I always say with the French <laughs> you just don't fuck with them no. like whenever something is bad they burn it down till they get what they want yeah. and they get what they want but it's like because no news stations are following it no the news stations the only place you're finding this information is Twitter, Instagram and TikTok that's it they're all and you're bad the lads last week in Amazon in the United Kingdom that went out on strike it? oh fair play for 300 staff members walked out, out of a um, fulfillment centre it's like a pre-fulfillment centre in, uh, in the UK and Amazon the first strike employees on English soil of Amazon to, to walk strike. out and strike because they gave them a 50p raise. It's insulting. Like, imagine your employer saying no, that. I to will you. just say because I used to work in Amazon. Amazon. When we, when we, like, we didn't, it didn't happen here in Ireland because we weren't part of it, but we got sent out like all of the inside memos yeah. about like how to deal with him and because they, and because they knew it, they knew was, it was coming. In, they knew it was. They knew it was insulting. Yeah. And they knew. It was like, and I, I remember being on calls with like HR, being like, "It, we're sending out memos now as to how to take difficult questions for a pay rise. You know what you are doing is wrong." I, I was like, I'm not talking... Like, in Ireland, we did get a pay rise. It was higher. And we weren't allowed to tell anybody that we I got a higher pay t- rise. I remember you telling me this, yeah. Uh, and 50, I didn't, obviously, because I was salaried. 50p. Yeah. Like, that... He might as well just come to my house and piss on me. Like, yeah. what is that? Oh, now I don't work there anymore. I can give a little... They goss. Minutes. We're going to do a Mamazon Hour. A Mamazon Hour. Pod- Actually, does that have any questions about internal Mamazon? Like We're going to do a Mamazon Hour on the Patreon every week. Because they're just... Yeah. Get sued eventually. Yeah, eventually. <laughs> I just go under the whistleblowers when the, act. When the whistleblower whistleblower me. Um but yeah, no, it's the news has been uh, a wild ride for the last couple of days and I've just been ignoring it to be mm. honest with you. That poor poor man and his poor mother. <sighs> his poor mother. Like I don't even yeah, When terrible. I saw her on the news, I was like, I can't deal with this. No. She was like, I went to the hospital and she was like, I knew my son was dead. She was like, even though he was alive at that point, I knew he was dead. Because they beat him so badly. Why? For what? What was he even stopped for? I've, to be honest with you, I don't even know. I'm pretty sure it's probably like a part, like a fucking driving violation or something. Like, why would you do? Why would you do this? Why? Like, like I've never. There, there is no other country I know America's of that you get pulled show. over for. I did like I took all of my like I sent you the thing about the man getting shot by his dog and dying. Oh, yeah. Sorry, don't mean to laugh. <laughs> Got shot by his dog. And I was, and I was just like, how, 
How? How? And then there was a six-year-old that shot the teacher, and the teacher's now suing the school. Yeah. Because she had asked for multiple... Multiple times. To, to help. To help, or to and have him removed from the classroom. That child brought a gun yeah. to... I thought it was an accident. No. Six years old. He knew exactly what he was doing. Um... And it's like I on the internet I'm trying not to go into comments and being like, America's a shithole. I know, but every bar of me wants to be like your country's a fucking kip. But America is a shithole. And the frustrating thing is a lot of Americans know that it's a shithole. Like, do you know what I mean? A vast majority of them are fully aware that it is a shithole and they're anxious and upset and scared. It's just that loud majority that are like America Oh my god, did I you hear about this place in Florida? Oh god, Florida. Oh my god, it's like it it's like um the, oh, the the founder of Pizza Hut started a town. This is the most bonkers thing. And the only reason I know about it is because an Irish woman, like a middle-aged Irish woman, has moved there. And it's like fully Christian conservatorship. Oh, yeah. Okay. And it's like knock. But like there, it's like Trump knock. So like all the shops in the town sell like statues of the Virgin Mary and they're like it. everybody that lives there because it's a fully conservative Christian town. By the founder of Pizza Hut I just think this whole thing is can't wait until mental. the, uh, or is the Papa John the true crime no, documentary it's, it's for Pizza that one um, this is coming and uh, what yeah I want to go there and just interview all the people um, yeah insane. and they have rallies for Trump what's Trump's campaign motto it's something stupid um, but they were all like he did a good job I don't care for Biden what's going on I was like what you know what he did they think he did a good job because he brought in like abortion essentially Abortion is now Everything illegal. is a nightmare. Um, but honestly, I'm going to send it to you later because this town is—it's like knock on speed, but in a swamp. Oh <laughs> Every time somebody starts telling me something about Florida, I'm like, oh, here we go. I was like, this is because whatever goes on in that Same. place, and it's so weird because like Disneyland is there. Yeah, but Disneyland is like its own weird little state. It's like Disneyland, the happiest place on earth. Well. I'm sure that they have issues as well. Happy Space Earth, and then it's like Florida. Yeah. Florida. But for, like Disneyland is not, like Disneyland is so removed from anything. Oh yeah. It's a, it's whole own little like Well, it's had its own, its own infrastructure. Like it has its own fire brigade. It's just so, so bizarre that it's in that fucking shithole of a state. No offence to anybody from Florida, but your state is a show. Yeah, yeah. Politics, man. <sighs> anyway. That was, that was my start to the uh, podcast or to Patreon. To the Patreon. Um, this week on the Patreon, I haven't written it yet because I'm very lazy. Um, we're doing MMI cons, which is basically like we're going to take uh, feminist icons from Ireland and we're going to write stories about them. Um, and we're going to do <coughs> the regular mailbag now. Yay! It's mailbag time. Oh, yeah, this is Maximilian's mailbag. Way, yeah, 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 Mr. Mailbag. Duke said bravo another great one y'all if you love pop music nope if you, I'm not even reading this I'm just I saw a word and just read my own sentence oh yeah y'all if you love music most international check out This Is Pop on Netflix oh watching episode one The Boys to Men Effect Colin you need to get in touch with these people producing the show so good This Is Pop oh I, I, I love those kind of documentaries I'll have to watch that you do love those. But ones. then I always feel bad for these like boy bands and girl bands because like their managers make bi- millions and billions and billions and these fucking people are destitute by the end of their careers. Do you know what I say about that? What? Ticks. Ticks, I know. Idiots. The kids, a lot of them, like they make Yeah, well, I like said that and I'm not taking a One of the girls from... really tries to make me feel bad about TLC. One of the girls from that S Club 7 band is homeless. What? Yeah, she put up a thing the other day saying her and her two kids are homeless. Which one? Uh, was it the one that was racist? Because she no, not off. her, not her. She's very quiet. Okay, she she knows what she did. Yeah, um, it's one of the other ones. But she was saying that um, she, her and her two children are, are completely homeless. 
Yeah, because people were like, how do you not have any money? And she was like, we didn't make any money. Whoever it is, Simon them. Fuller, that's his name. That guy, Simon oh, Fuller. He's yeah. worth like 475 million and they have nothing. And a lot, and the Backstreet Boys, no, and Sinks manager did that as yeah, well. Yeah, he went to prison. Went to prison, yeah. Um, and my dad always says the other one, Simon Cowell. He's Simon mad Cowell. looking now. He looks like a crazy person. No, Simon Cowell looks the like. What has he done to himself? Like, if you were making a horror film. Yeah. Like, Simon Cowell looks like a horror. Like, and his, a, body, his body is so. I don't understand his body. He's fucking mental looking. He is and he wears so wor- I think his body looks like yeah, he, he wears, just wears really terribly clothes. proportionate clothes. He just wears those white t-shirts that show his nipples and like <laughs> high rise trousers. That's all he wears. Yeah, he does. I can't see his nipples all the time. All the He's time. so much plastic surgery. He looks so, so weird. Anyway, sorry Simon Cowell. Um, <laughs> Fuck Simon Cowell, he's a cunt. <laughs> Angel Yonick said, Thank you ladies for just being you. Seriously, I laugh and I cry and I learn new things every time I listen. Seriously, the best. Angel, don't listen to anything we say. No, we're not. And if you do, Google it afterwards. Yeah, no, just fa- <laughs> here. Listen, I need you all to fact check us. Fact check everything you're saying. Graham said that we should do an edit. Someone sent me a Twitter a tweet yesterday that was like, "I'm screaming like the names of like actors at you." And what a disaster. I was listening to the Patreon in the bed. That's what it was, and I was like, whenever we were talking about, I was like, "Oh, that's such and such." And he was like, "Why didn't you know that at the time?" And I was like, "I don't know." Well, and he was like, blank. "And he was like, I'd be screaming at you." And I was like, "I'd be screaming at us." Like I'm yeah. sure I said, if I was listening, I'd be screaming. And he was like, "Would you not just do an edit where you go back and put it in?" And I was like, "No, <laughs> no, no." Half the fun is not knowing. Like. <laughs> Absolutely not. Angel, thank you so much for your comment. Uh, Sonia said, very enjoyable MMIP. Thank you. You are welcome, Sonia. I thought uh, the MMI Patreon last week was very funny. Oh, I, it was good. I listened to it before. I, I, I enjoyed actually. it. I loved it. Good. And I, it's the first time I've listened to it in a while and I'd be always worried about the sound quality in the car, but sound quality no, is so fine. good on that it's microphone. Perfect, yeah. It's happy days. And I think as well, because we're driving uh, when it's the hot hot out and we're not rolling down windows and stuff like that that's why it's easier Graham said to me do you be missing turns and everything I said no. sorry what you have never missed a turn I was like what are you talking Nora about Nora never got even near a hairline of an accident or like, anything else I was like else. what's wrong with you Graham <laughs> it's like you're going like this on the road <laughs> when you're talking <laughs> men can't multitask Sarah I was like what have you ever seen him trying to multitask well, he's a medal it's like fucking um, Stephen Seagal he can't eat chew gum and walk at the same time that's exactly <laughs> like Colin is it better with two cups <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much Sonia Panda Silas says so many thanks for the birthday farts oh yeah you're welcome sadly was at work we'll have to make up we'll have a make up drink thank you thank you you're very welcome it's Panda's birthday a couple of weeks ago um, we did stuff, a yeah. little uh, let me see da 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 Kate Hanley said being from the Midwest Minnesota Wisconsin US I can relate to saying thank you all the time and being extra nice and polite we also do that weird white person thin smile and nod at strangers I do that too yeah I do that too and I'd be like I don't I use my teeth but I don't I'd be like oh did I tell you today the tell me remember was I saying to you that there was a really bad smell coming out of the yes. bathrooms yes so the fucking toilet exploded today I knew it Yeah, the toilet I said that could burst. blow up that's what I, I went and walked into the bathroom and walked into like a fucking foot of water and I was like what the fuck so I went out and got John on I was like John the fucking toilet's after like exploding he's like what it took them like three hours to fix it it was and then because it happened in the women's bathroom it happened in the men's bathroom yeah it's all connected and I was like I fucking knew there was something wrong the smell and then they cleaned it up the smell when it was cleaned up I was like this is 
while I went back into John, I was like, John, the smell coming out of that toilet. Like, just get some, like, men! Like, two men fixed it. I was like, just get a fucking air freshener or something. Oh. Like, the smell of it. And then they Do you remember me. that time in New York? <laughs> I was only thinking about that the other day, actually. Because I did a massive shit in Colin's toilet and I was like, is that going to block it? And then I was just thinking about what happened to us in New York and how that poor man had to come and remove our shite from the toilet. Like, I just remember. Floating on the top. Like, not even, there was no way we could, could have even hidden it. Like. I couldn't get it together. I remember just being in the room and you... <laughs> hiding in the corner you were lying on the bed the and he just put the bed with the pillow over my face and he was like okay thank you okay. and I was like I, I just remember the bit when he started and I could hear it <laughs> I was like he's breaking up our shit it was so bad yeah poor man sorry sir you'll never hear this but sorry um, Paul Brown said Shirley Karata got her deserved Oscar nomination for costume design for everything everywhere, everywhere all at once delighted for Shirley she fully deserves it I don't know if she'll win but I really really hope she does oh I want to talk about the Oscars actually okay on the now podcast. we need to fucking need some content that's what I'm saying podcast. I'm going to add the Oscars to my list um, thanks Paul so Avine Ferris said honestly the highlight of my week is listening to you ladies and Colin Aww. almost died listening to Emma's fear at the doctors which is a real fear also if you want somewhere polite where people all say hello and make conversation visit Texas highly problematic politics but they'll say hello to you I have heard the Texans are incredibly friendly like yeah super, but they're voting for friendly. like to kill everybody so they might be friendly to your face and they're like they're taking away your rights I'd rather be in New York where people are like you don't go fuck yourself but they're like I believe in free healthcare <laughs> for everybody I think you're a piece of shit but also I think you should be allowed to have an abortion yeah, like <laughs> where are you from that piece of shit hole but I'd love do you know where I would like to go go Austin I, I, I think we should I would plan, love to go to Austin because we've gone to New York so many times yeah I think Austin would be really fucking cool like it I seems like a really, Salem a, lot. a really cool kind of area the only thing about Salem is you could only spend like a day or two in Salem do you know people what I mean? saying that after two days is something to do like you'd have to go somewhere else Brian laughed at me when I said I wanted to go to Salem why would he laugh at you he was like <laughs> Salem's on my list as Area 51 is on my list Seattle? like those kind of two weird places that I really want to go and I really want to go to um to Austin I think why? Austin because Austin is like I guess these are so when our lady with the uh, the music lawyer lives she's got the great big she's got hair the same colour as me but she's got loads of it she wears she makes her clothes she's got a pretty oh yeah uh, the Austin is like the hipster kind of part of Texas they, yeah okay. their slogan is like keep Austin weird so it's just really hipstery it's really cool people say that it how doesn't long will it take us to get to Austin I don't know I'd say we're looking at like what three flights no what? two flights I don't two. think I don't think it's direct flights to Texas from Ireland I think you have to fly to like New York or Boston or somewhere and then fly okay. from there down to the... But yes, we're, I would love to go to Texas, Avine. Does anybody have a house that we can stay in for free? free and we gaff, don't want please. to sleep, which is... Free gaff, free separate bedroom with no weirdness. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, da, da, da. Liz said, no, people were actually fucking rude in Vienna. Yeah, they were. We hated it when we went. Zero vibes, no energy, nobody was fun, dead as fuck. I'm so glad we aren't the only ones who understand, didn't understand the hype. P.S. Thanks for getting me through my period. You two are so funny. You're very welcome. <laughs> You're very so, welcome, Liz. On the back backs of that, right? Someone yeah. today in work, I said to this person, that person's very condescending. And they said, no, they're just Dutch. And I said, I've met loads of Dutch people and they're not all cunts. You know when people yeah. are like, oh, it's their, it's their way, it's as a yeah. fucking race. No, it's not. Oh, some people are just arseholes. Well, I do more from the other episode or will we leave that till next week? No, do more. Are you sure? Yeah, we're here. Gina Vertolo. Sorry, Gina. Gina Vertolo. Vertolo? 
Perimenopause sucks. I haven't had a solid night's sleep in a year. Cry at the drop of a hat. My hair is thinning. I have bloat and hot flashes that nearly make me pass out. I hate being a woman. Being a woman. Jesus, Gina, I'm sorry. What the fuck, man? But like, I, it's so weird because I, my mum obviously went through menopause, but I always say this. I didn't even know my mum was going through menopause only that she would stand in front of the fridge once we a week. We can fly a uh, direct to Austin from... Uh, no from London Heathrow. From London, so we'd go London Fucking Heathrow. mad expensive for flights How in much? the summer. Mad mental. When do we want to go? I don't know. When's a good time to go to June just seems like it'd be fucking mental hot and you'll die. What about like September? Okay, let me see. Sorry, we're just checking to see if we can go on holidays together. Um, Megan Stewart said, Great episode. I first want to wish happy belated birthdays to Yvonne. And Lily, oh, thank Aww. you so much, Megan. My birthday is January 7th, 22nd. So lots of love to my fan- fellow January babies. And happy belated birthday, Megan. Also, someone very close to me rec- was recently hospitalised for a week after taking Munjaro, which is very similar to Azempic. She couldn't hold down food and was basically starving. What? Jesus. It was very scary and it was prescribed by her doctor. So please, if your doctor recommends something like that, consider getting a second opinion. Thank you so much for that, Megan. She said, and on the subject of pet cremation, my vet offers individual cremation for an extra fee. Of course, there's no way of knowing if the ashes you get back are actually just your own pet. And fuck Tom Hanks. I don't believe in any conspiracy theories about him, but he's a multi-millionaire hoarding wealth like every other celebrity. Yeah. He was on set Mario's recently and handed out lotto tickets to the audience. Oh, that's so patronizing. Oh, that's awful. Oh, what the fuck is that? That's how much each it is to fly. It's not that bad. No, but it's it's just because think I'm fl- used to getting like a flight to New York for three fifty. Um, he literally could have just handed out money, but no, he was basically like, "Here, you, you go, boys. You may win a couple of bucks, or this ticket might be absolutely worthless. Good luck." That's vile. I know he's well loved, but I don't judge people who love celebrities. But I will say this: when the revolution comes, he will not be spared. I'm going to eat Tom Hanks first. No, we're not. Sorry for the long comment. Just had a lot of thoughts. The three of y'all are doing a great job. Thank I don't you know. So I need much, Tom Megan. Hanks first. I'm going to eat Tom Hanks first. I need Tom Cruise first. Oh, I'm not going to eat him. Oh, that's I do Tom Cruise first. Do you see that um, Miscavige, not the wife, the husband? Yeah. He's gone missing. David Miscavige? Yeah, they're looking for him. The LAPD are looking for him. In relation in, to, his to his missing his husband? Wife and, they, uh, wife? Missing wife and they can't find him. He's gone. What? And the Scientology are like, we're not telling you anything. We don't know where he is. He's completely gone. They can't find him anywhere. Has he gone into the other realm? Probably. Like he's gone to see, what, what's his name? L. Ron Hubbard. What's the name of the, the god A in the have? Sue something. Zed. Colin! Zed. Zalu? Zero? Zalu? Zanu? Zanu? Zanu. 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 What's the name of the Scientology monster? Xenu. Thank you. He's God, a god alien spaceman monster. He looks like a. What's his face with the. What's the guy from. Boogie Nights. John Travolta. He looks like... Didn't John Travolta play him in that like movie? Yes, he did, yeah. That's crazy that we didn't know that was propaganda. I knew it was propaganda I didn't at the time. Know. I was like, what's this crazy sh- piece of shit that I'm but watching? That's only because my mum temporarily joined Scientology. No! Yeah! Oh, Caroline, please. She I'm might do the stress test and everything. Or <laughs> <laughs> they get you to hold the thing? Yeah. On a fucking Abbey Street. And they're like, oh yeah, there's something wrong with you. There definitely is something wrong with you. Give us a hundred like, euro and we'll tell yeah, you what's wrong they, with you. The people from Dianetics used to ring us all the time. Oh my God, Dianetics. I used to ring around having a dinner to try to sell us books. <laughs> I'm like, uh, fuck off. Fuck off. Um, come to the house too. It is Laura Rogers said, I did not know that about pet cremations. I have my 20 year old cat's ashes sitting on my mam- mantelpiece. I'm sorry. Uh, you have bits of her. <laughs> yeah. She said, also I have GERD. 
I can't drink tea or coffee as it always makes me nauseous. And I've always put it down to just being intolerant to hot drinks in general. Anything tomato based kills me and I'm on long term medication for heartburn and can't even miss one or I'll flare up bad. Oh my God, that sounds horrible. I think I've GERD. I said that on the last Patreon. I tell everyone who experiences heartburn regularly to go to the doctor get to get a prescription because it will change your life. Emma, I live on my own too and I'm so clumsy and accident prone that I'm terrified I'll choke when I'm on my own and just die with my cat staring at me. Yep. And then they'll eat you. Do they eat you? They'll start with your eyes. Why do they start with your eyes? That's the softest part. They'll chew out your eyes. Anyway. (laughs) I hope everybody enjoyed that. (laughs) There's all the questions and comments. Thank you so much for your questions and comments. Thanks, everybody. We're giving MMI cons. Hope you enjoy it. I haven't written it yet, but I will write it. We're going to write it. It's going to happen. I think that's everything. Okay, well done, you. I don't know if that was timed. I usually use like 20 minutes, but I think it's about 20 minutes. It's longer than that. Um, We'll be back next week with more depressing shit. Uh, We don't always talk about depressing shit. We do, but sometimes we can have a laugh about it. Everybody have a lovely week. We'll see you next week. right I don't understand yes. the premise so <laughs> <laughs> what we're going to start doing t- this week is we're going to do MMI cons MMI cons MMI cons which is basically where we take iconic women whoever be whoever they are from around the world that we want to talk about are you going to cover me I'm going to cover Sarah Sarah's going to cover me um, and neither of us are going to cover Colin Yours would be very... We're going to do uh, Edgar Allan Prolapse. We'll cover Edgar, Edgar Allan Prolapse. Prolapse. Yeah, I'll uh, do you. You do me. Yeah. Oh, this is good, actually, because then we could sit down and be like, right, tell me about the beginning she of your born life. Born in the 3rd of October. Born in the 3rd of October, 1985, uh, in Cumbria. Her parents left in the middle of the night. <laughs> like, the dead of night and didn't pay their rent. This could my be mom a good story. Like, my mom, this is a true story. Mom, they left in the dead of night. Yeah. Because they couldn't afford to pay the rent. And my mum felt so bad about it that she, um, like, did an initial clean on all of the appliances. Aww. Because she was like, I felt terrible even. You know, at the end of the day, unfortunately, that happens. People sometimes can't afford their fucking rent. Yeah. Like, it happens. We're not all fucking perfect Also, the only reason my dad was in the country was to get his teeth done. He's fucking dead right. (laughs) Dead right. Not now on the NHS. Uh, but yeah so we're going to choose women famous women not famous we don't have to be famous but women that we love and appreciate and we're going to do that once a month I think or whatever we feel like doing it but this week I am going to cover one of my favourite photographers and her name is Deanne Arbus you'll know do you know who she is? Yeah. yeah, cool. Um, so I'm going to cover her Uh, I'm going to go through her life can you hear Colin mumbling in the background? Phone. To someone on the phone. Hire it up for me and listen to their conversation. <laughs> He's like, those two cunts in that bedroom. <laughs> fucking shut up. Like, yeah, I wish those two fucking eat. <laughs> <laughs> My stomach is killing me. I need to do shit. <laughs> He's probably in front of his mother. Okay. Um, so I'm going to cover Diana Ar- Arbus. Uh, her name is spelled Diane, but her parents called her the French Diane. So Diane. Call her Diane. 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 Diane.
fucking they were actually Russian so I don't really understand what this is well, about well I wouldn't want to be affiliated well, they, with Russian well they were really either. wealthy so you know the way wealthy people do that weird thing yeah. where they're like your name is Deanne yeah um, but like I'm, Sierra her yeah. name is Kara. Kara. I'm going to cover Deanne because I love her work and I knew a bit about her life obviously the kind of ins and out but I didn't know the full kind of throttle of her entire existence it's very depressing A B there are mentions of incest so if that is not something that you want to listen to please skip this week because I don't want to upset anybody um, and I got my information from shotkit.com the Smithsonian bag the New Yorker thecut.com wikipedia forward.com and a documentary that I watched on YouTube which is just Deanna Arbus if you type that in it's the first one that pops up are we ready? yeah you ready to be bored? no why are we doing it then? I'm going to be bored no we won't you're going to go <gasps> What like did they the say fake, on it? The fake gasps. They said that they to said us. we do it on Reddit. The fake gasps. They almost do. Thanks, gasps. Um, I'm going to do more of them. So I'm going to start off with a <gasps> quote from Sandra S. Phillips, who's a senior curator of photography at the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, which is the FF, SF MoMA. SF MoMA. She said, to cast Arbus in the role of a tragic figure who identified with freaks is to trivialise her accomplishment. She was a great humanist photographer who was at the forefront of what has become recognised as a new kind of photography art. So... Diane Nemirov was born into wealth. Her parents, David Nemirov and Gertrude Rusak Nemirov, were a Jewish couple who had immigrated from Soviet Russia and owned Rusak's, which was a Fifth Avenue store that sold luxury clothing and accessories. So they were rich, rich. Yeah. Yeah. In March 1923, when Diane entered the world, her parents and grandparents were selling fur goods to a city that was about to be hit by the Great Depression. So oh. it was just before the Great Depression. In 1929, when Diane was six years old, Wall Street crashed. The world fell into an economic recession the likes that it were never seen before. As businesses collapsed and families were left with little to nothing, Diane and her two siblings, Renee, they love Renee. the French names, and Howard were raised by maids and governesses in a 14-bedroom house in the Upper East Side, completely shielded from the awfulness of awfulness of a financially crumbling world. So, so their family didn't suffer? They had no idea what was going on. They were, like, completely shielded from everything. Like, 14-bedroom house on the Upper East Side. So that must have been at least, like, three of those brownstones. Yeah, that's insane. Like, it's crazy. Her mother, who pronounced her name in the French way, Diane, was a distant woman, rarely interacting with her children. Instead, the dream! Instead, choosing to chain smoke cigarettes whilst in bed until two or three in the day, just applying cold cream to her face. Her mother, by her own account, suffered a breakdown, leaving her unable to clean or even dress herself. She would sit wordlessly at the dinner table while Diane fretted about her, sometimes locking herself in her bedroom for hours, terrified of what was to become of her mother. She was only 11 at the time. Diane decided at a young age that she wished to remove herself from the life of privilege and money she had grown up with. Um, she said, quote, the outside world was so far from us. Diane longed for escape, longed in a way to be part of a world she's seen as other and as interesting. But for those living it, it was torture. Once again, rich people cosplaying as poor people. You know this thing yeah. where they're like, I'm Beyonce. so rich and I have all this money. But look at this starving man. Yeah. What are his life experiences? Yeah. I'd like to try it. I'd like to go there. Um, like the man in Arrested Development. Yeah. 
that's it's, it seems to be a lot of like artists rich artists that seems to be like you always hear like people in NCAD who are like oh, yeah I've, like you know I'm, I'm living here I'm living in like depths of despair and it's like but you don't have to because your parents could pay for this yeah. you're just choosing to do this yeah like, and also you don't know what it's like to you not have, have a bail yeah, out system you don't you can do whatever you want in the morning if you text your daddy yeah. for the fucking you know you won't break my <clears throat> so Deanne was a precocious student and she studied in the ethical culture Fieldstone school which is a rich school nonsense. made up for rich people. Yeah, nonsense. It was a prep school in Central Park West. She had no interest in the formalities of education, but instead wished to experience the world or her, or her idea of what the real world was. Deanne's means of escape will become art and specifically photography. So Deanne's first foray into the cultural world would be her, by her brother, Howard. Howard, who was three years De- Deanne's senior, was the first man Deanne ever felt like a closeness to. She didn't really know her dad. Like, oh, okay. She didn't really have any men in her life. All their maids and were all women. Okay. So her brother was like the first person that she kind of had a connection um, with. So while Deanne was a painter and an original thinker, Howard was an intellectual and a great reader and a mm. writer who would eventually go on to win a Pulitzer Prize for poetry. Wow. Yeah. Deanne and Howard shared a closeness that hinged on their weirdness. Both simply did whatever they wanted and consequences be damned. Once again, rich. rich. Deanne was known to masturbate in her bedroom with the blinds fully open to ensure that people across the street would see her. She was also known to frequent porno cinemas and give helping hands to the patrons sitting next to her. Deanne needed therapy. Her brother Howard would self-harm and he called it worship. He said, my father once caught me at it and he said he would kill me if he, if it ever happened again. Do you know what these two sound like? Who? You know that movie with Michael Pitt in it? Oh! And they're in Dreamers? the French... Yes! During yes. the French Revolution and he's clearly banging his yeah, sister. sister. And Dreamers, yeah. Other, isn't it the Dreamers? Dreamers, I think, yeah. It's like that scene where they're in the bathtub. Yeah, yeah she's I think like, I just Dreamers. got my period. I think it is called it's Dreamers. Like, all right, I'll let's, let's get out. Uh, Deanne and Howard shared a closeness that lo- also leaked into their personal and sexual lives. There we go. Arthur Lubu, who wrote the book, Diane Arbus, Deanne Arbus, sorry, Portrait of a Photographer, carried out interviews with Deanne's psychiatrist, Helen Bognon, the results of which were shocking and almost unbelievable. She told Lubu that, quote, the sexual relationship that Howard... Um, and Deanne began started in adolescence and it never ended she said that they last went she last went to bed with him when he visited New York in 1971 only weeks before her death what? yeah the way Deanne told her psychiatrist this information was almost flippant to speak of incest in such a casual way may be indicative of someone whose trauma had been normalised and then I just wanted to say, Howard once said that reading a Freud book will be just like spending a day with his family. So that's how he described oh. his family. Or it could be indicative of a very vulnerable woman with a great amount of mental distress. <clears throat> so Lobo interviewed the psychiatrist. And then there were other people who said, well, we don't know if this is necessarily true. We don't know if Deanne was having because she had a lot of mental health issues throughout her life so we don't know if she was just kind of going through something and said so they don't know if it's true but I feel like why would you tell your psychiatrist that yeah like there's no reason for her to tell her psychiatrist that and a lot of her pay- behaviour to- throughout her life kind of makes sense when you put it in the context of this mm. so uh, da 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 the grotesqueness grotesqueness of the Nemirov's everyday life um 
maybe an anchor to Deanne's work with whom the world classified as outsiders, weirdos, freaks. Deanne too was a freak, but wrapped in a thousand dollar furs and Upper East Side secrets. So it was almost like she became obsessed with like the weirdos, the outsiders, the freaks, the kind of people on the periphery of society. But she also saw herself like that because she was like, I don't fit in here. I don't fit in and I'm just this fucking rich girl and nobody cares what I think and I'm just, this is my life and I've, I've nothing besides this. I'm having this. a wank with the windows and I'm open. wanking and I'm wanking off people in cinemas. Sure, we've all done that. Sure, listen. Have we all been there? What else would you be doing on the side? I know. At the age of 13, Deanne met a man. His name was Alan Arbus. He was a photographer and worked at the advertising department at Russick's. Alan described himself as, quote, Mr. Nobody, but Deanne fell madly in love. The two began dating once again, she was 13. And in 1941, when Deanne was 18 and Alan 23, they got married. Deanne saw in Alan a kindred spirit. Like Howard, her brother, she could talk to him about art and the wilder world and he would be her escape. I kind of feel like she... Uh, did this thing where she just latched onto people mm. like she didn't know how to kind of be by herself I could be wrong but whilst on honeymoon Alan gifted Deanne her first camera which is a Graflex with the camera Deanne enrolled in classes in the new school under the tutelage of photographer Berenice Abbott she learned about photographers such as Eugenia J Paul Strand and Bill Brandt in 1944, Alan was drafted to the war as a photographer and archivist. And whilst away, Deanne learned that she was pregnant. Oh. Dune, which I think is a gorgeous name, D-O-O-N. That is a lovely really name. name. Dune Arbus was born on April 3rd, 1945. And Deanne was overjoyed. She was an incredibly doting mother, spending all her time with her little girl, hoping to give her the maternal love she lacked as a child. So when Alan returned from the war, Deanne's father asked if they will begin taking photographs of his store as well as the models wearing their designers. Deanne's father backed them financially. He bought them an apartment and a studio on West 17th Street and West 54th Street, respectively. So he was like, hey, have all this free shit. Like, imagine Deanne being like, I'm buying you two apartments in the most expensive part of New York City. That's crazy. Money is crazy. Money is crazy. Like, that's insane to me. So Deanne and Alan became a tour de force, which shoots in glamour and vogue, cementing them as the photography it couple. Dubbed Mr. and Mrs. Inc. by a piece in Glamour magazine, they were profiled as a sweet, loving couple who had sometime mastered a work-life balance. Deanne would work with Alan during the day, and then when they were finished, she would run home to do her wifely duties of making dis- dinner for her husband and her child. So they had Dune, and then a year later they had Amy. So they had two daughters now. Dune and Amy. Dune and Amy, yeah. However, as expected from someone as independent and driven as Deanne, her work in the fashion world left her feeling stifled and unfulfilled. That childlike urge she discovered in the Great Depression, the need for the real and the honest, was coming to the forefront again. She became sick of the beautiful and crafted and perfect and longed for something else in her work. During one assignment for Vogue in which she spent the day posing little girls on swings, Deanne took a step back, raised her voice a little and said, I can't do it anymore. I'm not doing it anymore. She left. What? Deanne wanted to capture the outside world both physically and metaphorically. She wrote in a letter in 1957, quote, I am full of a sense of promise, like I often have, the feeling of always being at the beginning. So she was like, they had the company together. She was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm done. Now, I will say for her husband, he's very supportive. Oh, okay. 
So Alan completely supported Diane leaving the company. He helped her find a new studio and darkroom. He continued to work in fashion under their names and insisted that his assistant developed all of Diane's roles before the company's work. He said, quote, the most important work that goes on here is Diane's. So he knew she was really talented and he knew that this world was killing her and he hated it too. But he was more like, I have to give, I have to like look after kids. So he's like, you go do what you want to do. I'll do this. Which is rare. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, it's it's, he's been bankrolled by her dad. Literally, like, he wouldn't, this guy came from nothing, like, absolutely nothing. So in 1954, Diane began working with Lisette Modell, a photographer known for street photography and stark realism. Modell told Diane to focus solely on her work and to work towards a clarity in her art. Diane admitted to making very grainy things initially, but Modell insisted her work be confronting us with this person in that place wearing this outfit or no outfit at all. And that's just a piece from The New Yorker by Anthony Lane. I just wanted to put his name in there. She came to me and said, I can't photograph, Modell later told Dune Arbus, Diane's daughter. And I said, why not? And she said, because what I want to photograph, I can't photograph. Modell told Diane to go home and figure out what it was that she really wanted to take pictures of. And the next session, she came to me and she said, I want to photograph what is evil. And that was it. And then Dune wrote in a memoir published shortly after her mother's death. I think what she meant was not that it was evil, but that it was forbidden, that it had always been too dangerous, too frightening or too ugly for someone else to look at. She was determined to reveal what others had been taught to turn their backs on, which she did 100%. So as Diane and Alan continued their lie that Diane was still working for the company, her father had helped found. So they were like, we can't tell your dad. Yeah. You're not here, just they kept up the lie. Diane was now walking the streets of Manhattan in 1956 with a 35mm Nikon. It was here on the streets of the city she grew up, once completely familiar but also completely alien, Diane would meet the subjects of her art that would catapult her into the annals of great photographers of America. Around this time, Diane asked her husband to develop a roll of film and she labelled the sleeve with a marker, number one. It was the beginning. So initially, Diane would hold her camera close to her chest, taking pictures of the backs of barbers' heads through their shop windows, of women in large coats battling the bitter cold, their faces turned away, of children playing in the street unaware of Diane's presence. Diane felt something was off. These pictures, although honest and spontaneous, were also shielding the truth of people, and Diane wanted more. She continued to stroll the streets of Manhattan in the daytime and began holding her camera out for her eventual models to see. People began to look directly at her, began to stare first at the camera, then at Diane, and then Diane would take the picture. Oftentimes she would stop to speak to the person in the photo, learn who they were, where they were going. Other times she would simply take the picture and continue to walk. These pictures, when developed, were testament that Diane didn't really have to ask people questions. The honesty and frankness of their clothes, their hair, their shoes and their faces said everything. So Diane and Arlen, Alan sorry, made art as they lived, unconventionally. Although completely loyal to each other, their relationship was also non-monogamous. So they were poly- oh. polyamorous. Diane enjoyed an expansive sex life outside of her husband, once admitting to having sex with any man that asked for it. She also described a pool party in which she slept with one man after the next as if they were canapes. What? Diane was known to stage orgies during some shoots, photographing her nude subjects whilst also nude herself, and these sessions would eventually evolve into group sex. 
the 1960s free love movement would be something Diane would settle into comfortably. Alan, him- <laughs> Alan himself had several <clears throat> girlfriends throughout his marriage with Diane, and one of these women would told to the end of their the Arbus's marriage as she was not prepared to be part of a polyamorous relationship. She was like, "No, you're my man." So, what so she, she she was like they were together. So Diane and Alan were together. Yeah, and had a girlfriend. The girlfriend was like, "I'm not doing this. Like, I'm not being part of your marriage. It's her or me." So he chose the girlfriend. Oh, she wanted Alan exclusively, and he agreed. Deanne and Alan divorced in 1959. So he was oh, like, that's kind of sad. Was like, she was like, I want you. And he was like, okay, bye-bye, Deanne, you crazy bitch. <laughs> that's kind of sad. Yeah, it is. But although separated, the two remained amicable. They lived in separate apartments with their daughters, Amy and Dune, living with their mother, whilst Alan would come over every Sunday for brunch. He continued to help process Diane's, Diane's photography and balance their books. So they did have an amicable relationship. Like, they didn't hate each other. And their kids said that they were actually really, really close. They were like best friends. Okay. But, you know, they were... They Banging were everybody else. Yep. So the separation shifted something in Deanne. She chopped off all of her hair. She slept on the mattress on the floor of her new apartment with her photo- photographs pinned all over her walls. She seemed more free, which led her to being more brave with her art. Like this woman, if you ever Google her, she's the, you would think like like 30, you would think she was 15. Yeah, she's, she's very a waif. Small. She's like... so when she chopped off her hair she gave herself like that pixie cut and made her look even more innocent and I think it's how she got a lot of work done because people weren't threatened by her yeah they were just like oh this young lady is like you know she wasn't an imposing figure she looks incredibly Jewish she yeah she is yeah she is she's I assume she's Ashkenazi so though although she paid her bills with commissions and magazine work Diane took things a step further into the darker side of life which she seemed great crave Diane moved her work away from the street and towards circuses and freak shows, leading some to some of her most infamous work. Instead of taking pictures unbeknownst to her target, Diane began befriending the men and women of that world. Diane convinced the marked man, Jack, Jack Dracula, to take a picture at a bar and then laying in a field. The man who swallows razor blades was snapped holding a newborn baby. Miss Macrina, the Russian dwarf, was photographed sweeping her kitchen. I don't know if dwarf's the correct word. I apologise it's not. Is it? Little person? I don't know. I don't know. I, I know the, the the condition is called dwarfism. So I don't know if that's... I apologise if it isn't. Um, Diane seemed to want to juxtapose what was seen as other with the normality of everyday life or how indeed these people who were regarded as freaks were normal everyday life to bring the hidden to the forefront. These people held a special place in Diane's heart, seeing them as a sort of peculiar royalty. She said, quote, they don't have to go through their life dreading what may happen. It's already happened. They've passed their test. They're aristocrats. So she kind of saw them as like, because she grew up so wealthy. She grew up with like governesses and maids and all this shit going on. Like, I think she kind of saw them almost like her, that they were almost shielded, but in a different way. They were shielded in a way that was like, we don't want you're disgusting and gross. But she was shielded in a way that was like, you're rich, we have to protect you. So she kind of saw that in both of them. And that's why she was obsessed with them. Although her use of these subjects has been questioned ethically, it has. People have been like, you know, she was taking pictures of freaks and like putting it up in museums. And why was she doing that? these people? But it was the 60s in America. These people were doing sideshows were still a thing. Yeah. You know, people could pay money to see like a woman with her, her, her hair on her face. That was still a thing. Like, 
So Nan Golden, who is a photographer of subcultures and an activist for the LGBTQIA. Actually, just as a side note, Nan Golden is incredible. And she recently made a documentary. I don't know if it's out just yet. Um, and it's called All the Beautiful and Bloodied. And it's about the Sackler family. You know, oh those God, opioid yeah. bastards. So the Sackler family are massive... Um, patrons of the arts in America so they yeah. keep giving money to museums they're in like they're everywhere yeah. they're in the Louvre but they're she everywhere had them she, pa- she was one of the main reasons and she had them removed yeah. from a so Nan made a do- the documentary is about Nan Golden and like her work if you get a chance to watch it do I, I think I saw it on solar movies but I don't know if it's out anywhere yet but it's very very good so but I think that's see- so if anybody has watched the oh, sack that show that was on um Disney Plus with Michael Keaton yeah you know they're like at the very end of that at the very end of that show the last couple of episodes there's a scene where he he and like a woman of a daughter that died from the opioid crisis are in the Met in New York oh no way and what it is is to get the Sacklers out out. get them out Um, yeah but yeah Nan's amazing Um, her work is actually incredible but she said excuse me she was able to let things speaking of Diane she was able to let things be as they are rather than seeking to transform them the quality that defines her work and separates it from almost all other photography is her ability to empathise on a level beyond language Arbus could travel in the mythic sense perhaps trip Arbus was obsessed with people who manifested trauma, maybe because her own crisis was so internalised. She was able to look full in the faces we normally avert our eyes from and to show beauty there as well as pain. Her work is often difficult, but it isn't cruel. She undertook the greatest act of courage to face the terror of darkness and remain articulate. So some of... Uh, Diane's work like was super controversial and super before its time because she was was in subcultures that were like hidden in states like gay people transgender people cross-dressers like all the drag stuff so she did a very famous portrait and it's called Man in Rollers you've probably I'm sure people have seen there's a guy with rollers in his hair and he's lipstick on and he's smoking a cigarette and the first time she showed that in a gallery someone spat on it that's how much they hated gay people. Oh, okay. Like they spat on the picture and she was so shocked because she was like, "It's a, that's a person. Like, and because, because they're not like you. Doesn't, doesn't give you the right to do that. Yeah. Also pay me because you spat on my fucking photo. Yeah. That's what I'd say. <clears throat> um, Alan feared for Diane, who would spend late nights, he was so worried about her, around a rowdy and dangerous 1960s Times Square, as well, in go- as well as going to stranger houses in the Bowery to get the best possible pictures she could. It was a compulsion and part of her existence at this point. Anything to get the picture. The main characteristics of Diane, Alan said, was courage. Like, he loved her so much. Mm. He speaks so highly of her. And he did, even when they were together, he still spoke so highly of her. Diane rarely now this is the other side of the ethical thing that I have a problem with but I understand why she did it but at the same time it's not cool Diane rarely if ever asked for releases from her subjects instead she would sometimes pretend to not fully understand what she was doing to make people believe she was just a little ditzy woman speaking in a little girl voice fumbling with her equipment and using weaponized incompetence to the best of her ability so she'd be like oh, I don't really know what I'm doing oh, snap uh, and then was like oh, releases what was a release like that kind of stuff because she knew and she was right the privilege of a, a small tiny little white woman that she knew that if she acted dumb, because men are stupid a lot of the time, they would have been like, oh, okay, she's not going to do anything. She's, but she knew exactly what she was doing. Because mm. she's rich. 
Um, so when subjects would ask if certain pe- pictures they were uncertain of would appear in a publication, Diane would tell them, no, of course not. In one instance, Diane was hired to photograph a wealthy family. Sick of the greeting card attitude of the photographs, Diane shot them inside and outside for eight hours until the family were completely worn out. The results of which show a tense, fed up wealthy family making something Diane knew would be the truth rather than the bells and whistles of money. So she was like, I'm going to break these motherfuckers down oh god and then the pictures she took at the end were the, were the ones. ones that she used oh. and it became one of her most famous like set of photographs oh, okay. because they look like the dad looks like he's about to murder someone because oh. the kids are like losing I, their shit it was eight hours yeah but because they're wealthy and that kind of part of new york they had to be seen to be like oh it's fine yes of course but you know because they wanted to know the arts and she knew this yeah she used it to the best of her ability when uh, asked if the photos Diane took would be used, Diane told them no, and then immediately added them to an exhibition within days. She was like, that's going into an exhibition. Diane was hired to take headshots of feminist Ty Grace Atkinson. It would then turn out much to Grace's disgust that Diane had taken pictures of Grace topless. Oh, God. So she said to Grace, just take off your top because I want it to look like skin here. Just t- take your top down. But what she was doing was actually taking pictures of her breasts. That's not cool. No, it's not cool. Upon taking the pictures of a Warhol model Viva, Diane was explicitly told not to release any topless pictures. Diane did the opposite. Viva threatened to sue, but Warhol advised against it. He was like, don't sue her because she was kind of seen as one of the darlings of New York. But he, uh, only for him, she would have been sued. So she just didn't give a fuck. <laughs> None of this left Diane conflicted. Her approach was always the same. She wants the truth and she wants us, the viewer, to be as surprised as she is. Although fiercely independent and singular in her work, Diane did not enjoy being alone. And within months of divorcing Alan, she met Mervyn Israel. Sorry, Marvin Israel. Marvin was an artist and photographer and he was also fully married. Oh, okay. From day one, he explained to Diane that he would not be leaving his wife and she would never be his number one priority. And she was like, okay, (laughs) let's be in love. Uh, Known for being mercurial, Israel once told a painter who was struggling, quote, maybe you should just kill yourself. What? So this is what she was dating. (laughs) These people are fucking nuts. New York in the 60s, baby. (laughs) What the fuck? Yeah, he was like, he was an artist, but he also taught art. So if people would come to him and be like, I'm struggling, he'd be like, well, maybe she just quit. And then he said to one guy, maybe she just kill yourself. It may be that Diane felt drawn to Israel because their relationship was difficult, lacking, and ultimately stopped her from being domesticated. Maybe her hope was this relationship, although nourishing to her as a woman, will keep her art as dark as possible. Diane was a photographer at a turning point in America in the 1960s. The 50s were being bid farewell in the most visceral way. Mini skirts were replacing ankle length dresses. Women were becoming more aware of their importance and place outside of the house. Sex had moved from being hidden and dirty to being celebrated and visual. It seemed to be the perfect generation for someone like Diane Arbus, who had been living this life since a teenager, but now she could talk about it. Because she was doing all this shit before yeah. everybody else was doing it, because she could get away with it. Diane began photographing photographing sex. Her pictures would be before, during and after with her becoming a part of the images too. 
Deanne's openness with sex and her sexuality led some of the most uh, led to some of the most honest photographs of Deanne's career. Although partaking in orgies and swingers parties seemed to be part of Deanne's artistic world, some did question if these compulsions were healthy. Deanne would sleep with everyone. Her friends, married and single, people in the art world and collaborators. Some of these trysts resulted in Deanne losing work or being excommunicated from friend groups. It also led to Deanne becoming very sick as she contacted hepatitis B. This led to the Guggenheim delaying her fellowship funds. So in 1963, she was awarded a Guggenheim fellowship for a project on American rights, manners and customs. So they would give out yearly grants to people and you would just get like paid to create work but when she got sick with hepatitis B they were like we can't give you anything why and because she wasn't creating work you only got the work when you were creating and the thing where the weirdest thing about this and I tried to find this but I couldn't find anything she didn't take any money from her parents she was doing this all by herself she was struggling financially like struggling and then she got hepatitis B got no treatment for it and was just sick for the rest of her life with it She's got no treatment Nothing. for Nothing. Bare minimum. No proper treatment whatsoever. And she continued to have sex with people while she had this. What? Mm-hmm. So it just seems to me like there's a... She was very... Like, she was clearly very mentally ill. And I don't like saying that about people that I don't know, obviously. But just when you read about her, you're like, everything she did was a compulsion with no forethought or afterthought. It didn't matter once she got what she wanted. Oh. So she just had, like, a compulsive... I have a little bit of that in me. Oh! Yeah, a very know. small amount. You're not writing people and giving them hepatitis. No, B. but like I, I have a, 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 like I have got that in me, but I've got an awareness that I've got it in me. Yeah, like you she, she didn't, way? she didn't at all. It was like I want so this. Even I want this. with your friends and then expecting to still be. Yeah, and then they were like, "No, fuck off." Yeah, you slept with like you slept with my husband. Why would I continue to be like? What are you talking like? So just there was like that part of her that all that mattered was getting the art and the worst part about it is she just kept doing it and it was never enough and that's where you can kind of see it with her the more she produced the more she gave the more she got it was never enough for her so you know it's sad Uh, so the disease not treated properly would leave her weak and emaciated for most of her adult life what what treatment do you get for hepatitis B? Proper, like I think back then I'm not too sure, but I know with hepatitis B now they give you the same thing that they give to cancer, some cancer patients. It's like a drip, but it's not um, chemo; it's something else. Oh, okay. I think Flavia's mum had hepatitis C, and then she got treated for it. But I think she's okay now. But yeah, he told me that it was almost like uh, they they gave it to her like chemo. Oh. Mm. So Deanne saw everything as an experience and a collection, not only of her art, but the people she met along the way. Her flippant behaviour towards her safety and health could unfortunately sometimes be seen in how she raised her daughters, Dune and Amy. Although a loving parent, Deanne sometimes can be immature and inconsiderate. Although Dune was a little older, Amy was still only five years old and Deanne would sometimes bring her on shoots. Oh, In one such instance, Deanne brought Amy to the park and began taking pictures. She did not realise Amy had climbed into a pond until the little girl emerged soaking wet and coughing. So when she got like into something, everything Everything else else was was just blurred out. Nothing existed. And she would bring like her kids to these things and then people were like, and she never bought them to like the sex shoots or anything, but she did bring them to things that might be seen as inappropriate for children. Uh, 
time, Deanne's work-life balance was almost non-existent, as ultimately the two could not be separated. As an artist, she believed the only true way to live was to let your art be you and you be your art. Most of the experience she had were her art. This would ultimately lead to her personal relationship suffering, as well as financially struggling for most of her adult life. So in 1967, Diane Arbus, Lee Friedlander and Gary Wingorand were chosen by the MoMA to be highlighted in one of their first major photography shows. Diane printed out hundreds of postcards and sent them to as many people as she could, including her famous friends Norman Mailer and Robert Frank. Hundreds of people attended the showing in a cramped room and as they viewed Diane's staunch, vivid, frightening yet beautiful black and white pictures, it was quickly realised that she was the star of the show. Although galleries now wanted to work with Diane following her fantastic MoMA showing, she was still hesitant, afraid she was not ready and afraid they would want to dictate how she f- would photograph. So like all she wanted was for museums to take pay attention to her. And then when they started paying attention to her in galleries, she was like, oh, no, mm. I don't want this because I think it seemed almost too real to her. Sounds like you. Sounds like me. However, in a cruel twist of fate, Diane's newly found fame... meant magazines she previously worked with stopped calling her, afraid she would give them the, quote, freak treatment of her now famous exhibit. So magazines she had previously done, like, random shoots from just pay the bills, now got wind of this weird shit she was doing, and they were like, we don't want her associated with our magazine. So they cut her off completely. Work dried dried up, and Diane was selling prints for less than $75 each. And I watched a documentary today, and they were saying... She released a collection of 10 prints in like 1961, 62. And the guy was saying she was meant to make 100. She made five. And he was saying if you owned one of those five prints now, you'd be worth about 345 million. What? Yep. He was like, they are so rare. And her original work is quite rare that if you had one of those, you'd be worth about 345 million. Yeah. And there's two that they know of, but they don't know where the other three are. Yeah, like her work is sells so like it's insane the way her work sells. Like her work is Warhol levels of money, but because she's a woman, no one talks about it. No one talks about it, and it is unfortunately the reason the way it is. Like, um, let's we we gotta find Diane Warbus. Find him. (laughs) Um, so as her work life seemed to be falling apart, so too would Diane's personal life when she learned that Marvin was having an affair with another woman. Marvin's married. Marvin's already married, right? Yeah. He was having an affair with Diane and now he's having an affair with another woman. The woman turned out to be Dune Arbus, Diane's daughter. What? He was bagging his, Diane's Diane's, Diane's daughter. And how old was she? She was 22. What? Mm-hmm. Yep. Diane, who had suffered with depression throughout her life, much like her own mother, was devastated. Although a free-thinking person with a penchant for sexual otherness, this was too much for Diane. As her work life dwindled and her hepatitis and depression worsened, she stopped taking pictures. When Diane's artistic life was empty, so was her personal life, and the same could be said vice versa. So on the 26th of July 1971, Diane took out her diary and wrote the words, The Last Supper. She then placed the diary and her address book on the stairs, walked to her bathroom and ran a bath. 
She didn't undress, choosing to lay in the bathtub in her jeans and a shirt. She took a handful of her barbiturates and with a razor blade deep enough to sever tendons, she slit her wrists. She was only 48 years old. Yeah. What? So That's not where I thought this was going to go. So basically after finding out that he was sleeping with Dune, she was like, I can't do this. So she... Like, I'm not blaming him for her suicide, but she, all this stuff had happened. She was sick. She was getting sicker. Her depression was bad. Things had dried up. She wasn't taking pictures, which when I say that was her life, like she was so deeply ingrained. That was part of her. When she didn't do that, she was miserable. And then she finds out her daughter is fucking her partner. Um, did they talk to them hmm? in this documentary? No, they didn't. She wouldn't speak to them. But... Uh, Marvin will be the fa- one to find Deanne after she did not answer her phone for two days. So obviously she had found out about Dune and Marvin yeah. and then he was trying to ring her and he couldn't get in contact with her and then went to her apartment and found her. Deanne, having never made a will, left her entire body of work to her daughter Dune. She, along with Israel, made it so her mother's work was included in the Venice Biennale and a posthumous retrospective at MoMA within 15 months of her death. The MoMA show drew massive crowds and the accompanying monograph, Deanne's First, has since sold over half a million copies. Many of the prints in the exhibit was essentially sell for hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars. Deanne, like most artists, would achieve her highest level of fame and rec- recognition posthumously. But we have to wonder if this would have in fact made her happy and satiated or she would find the need to go darker and darker. So following Deanne's death, her daughter Dune and ex-lover Marvin Israel seemed to continue their affair. With LeBeau writing, quote, After Deanne's death, Marvin and Dune socialised and travelled together as a couple, though Israel continued to live with his wife. So these two, now I'm sorry, I don't mean to be a cunt, but as soon as her mum died, they were like, how can we make money off this? They were travelling around the world together, selling her mother's photography. And putting it in museums and getting paid for it. And she'd killed And her herself. mother had just k- took her own life in a bathtub at 48 years of age. Like, that's fucked, Sarah. That is fucked. That's fucked, like. <clears throat> Diana Arbus was as polarising an artist as she was a person. What she captured was essential in a time where America needed the underbelly exposed, where it needed to be questioned and admired for not only its awfulness, but its wonderful oddness. Peter Schickjal, in a 2005 review of the exhibition Diane Arbus, Revelations for the New Yorker, stated, quote, She turned picture-making inside out. She didn't gaze at her subjects. She induced them to gaze at her. Selected for their powers of strangeness, strangeness and confidence, they burst through the camera lens with a presence so intense that whatever attitude... <coughs> Excuse me. She or you or anyone might take toward them disintegrates. You may feel crazily that you have never seen a, photo- a photograph before. Nor is this impression of novelty evanescent. Over the years, arbuses that I once found devastating have seemed to wait for me to change just a little, then to devastate me all over again. No other photographer has been more controversial. Her greatness, a fact of experience, remains imperfectly understood. And that is the story of one of my favourite photographers probably my favourite Dionne Arbus and that her. is it's a lot are they all going to be like this I don't want to do it <laughs> no, I knew I knew about her suicide I didn't know about 
her daughter's affair with her partner I didn't know that part of it yeah like I knew that her work dried up and I figured maybe that kind of led to her depression and everything but I didn't know Marvin and the fucking Stephen oh show me him the absolute state of this man like I'm like the New York world is crazy the art world is fucked um I love this picture Marvin where is he oh shit hold on this is like my favourite Diana Arbus picture yeah it's beautiful my, Marvin Israel so here he is she has so many photos that when you are see we it, joking are we having a laugh are we joking are we having a laugh is this who that's, that's who she was stuck in and then her daughter was stuck in like I'm just I don't get it I know beauty's in the eye of the beholder Oh that man looks like a worm with hair stuck on either side you like, know what that man looks like what you know in Toy Story 2 yeah you the know, guy owns the shop? The, no, the old man that paints the... Oh, the yes, toys. that's exactly... <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it's 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 fascinating and it's sad and it's weird because a lot of female photographers, especially, they get just kind of overlooked and removed and they, they're artists. Oh, like life. Like life. Um, I took deal with a man in work all this week that was like... Uh, told me oh. his sister was a feminist oh here we go because she like doesn't think it's her job to like clean and cook in the house and I was like well maybe she's just a person I was like uh, and I just went we can't talk no don't talk to me about this we cannot talk about this and then that was like bait to him like bait to him and then I came in and he was talking about the strikes in England and he was like, why do teachers think they should get this much money? Uh-huh! Shut the fuck up! And then he went, do you think me as a taxpayer, do you think it's okay that I've spent all my life being a taxpayer in England, but um, if, I have, if I have a heart attack, I call an ambulance and they can't come? Like, do you think that's acceptable? Because I was saying, like, the Tories are scum. They've pretty much made striking illegal. And he was like, minimum service. They've required minimum service. And I was like, do you think it's okay or acceptable that the guy who, like, saved your life... Yeah. Can't buy food can't at the end of the month. Can't feed his family, sir. And he, can't and turn and his you know electricity on. He was like, well, they should have thought about that before they got that job. And I was like, okay, so no one will take that job. Then. Oh, Sarah, he's a cunt. Yeah, I was like, so no one will take that job. Oh, then. he's a cunt. Like, and I was like, so on the basis of your argument, because I think he thought I was just going to be like, ha like, and I was like, can we just talk about the basis of your argument then? On the basis of your argument. Cunt. No one should take the job. Yeah. Because it's not paying enough money. Mm-hmm. But also, if they do take the job and accept that little money, they it's should just, they should still save your life because you pay taxes, which pays their job. Is that, is that your, is that what you're saying? Yeah. And he was like, well, uh, that's exactly what like, you're saying. That's what you've just said. Word for word. And that's there was what another you said. girl in the office with me and she was just like messaging me because she was like, yeah. <laughs> Why did they do this in the office? It's so inappropriate. And so afterwards, I just like, he went quiet then. And I was like, just for future reference, don't talk about politics or religion no. in the workplace. It's so inappropriate. Especially because I fuck them off the floor with you, uh, uh, stupid uh, cunt. Uh, 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 uh. Um, but yeah, men are shit. Uh, also, if you do look up uh, Deanne's work, um, I think if you can there's an amazing artist called Trish Murtha she died in 2013 I believe uh, she was also like a street photographer if you will um, but she lived in Newcastle and she photographed 
Newcastle at a time where like the mines were being closed oh, and everything had gone to hell her work is really beautiful it's horrible sometimes to look at but her daughter is trying to get money together to do documentary about her she's fabulous her name is Trish Murtha and obviously Vivian Mayer as well um, is another one and Nan Golden so there are some photographers if you want to look them up if you're interested after listening to this dire depressing story ugh like and the thing about it is that she just gone to her mum and dad and been like here listen I have hepatitis B Things are gone a bit Yeah, but she obviously felt like that she that was to, like... Yeah. Um, that she was moving away from that. She wanted away from yeah. that entire life. That was all she wanted was like, I don't want to be... But then you have to... She has to understand that she got the realism of like suffering. This is what suffering is. Like, you get sick, you can't afford to pay for it. If you don't have money, you can't pay your bills. Yeah, and that's probably what she did, what she did, right? What like, she did, what she did. But um, I also think she was extremely mentally ill. Yeah. And I think a lot of that was kind of overlooked for her art or whatever like people do admit obviously that she was mentally ill but she was hypersexual which is a sign sometimes not always of previous abuse which ties into her brother so and she used to say they played house that's what she called it what they played house that's how she described it what she did with her brother and like I looked up her brother her brother's a very famous famous poet and there's nothing about any of that. Like, it's not mentioned. It's not spoken about. He died in 1991, so... So he never spoke about it? Never. Never. Not once. But she spoke about it to her psychologist. She spoke about it to her psychiatrist and then her psychiatrist told... That's not that her psychiatrist told. She's dead. Oh, because she died. Yeah, so okay. she can. But yeah, that was the story. I'm sorry if it was very depressing, Um, but we're going to end my cons. So I was going to do a happy one the next time. I don't. Here, I was going to do Dolores O'Riordan and then I did a bit of digging. Why would you do Dolores O'Riordan? She's a very talented lady. She makes some beautiful music. She had a miserable life. Also, not only that. She's miserable. Not only that. Huge pro life for her. So was her ma. Yeah, did you not know that? So I was like, you know what? Let's take a step back from that one. Her ma was like, her mom came after she and the whole like, uh, the Roe v. Wade. Yeah, yeah. Her mom was like, Dolores would be. Stop killing the baby. Dolores would love it. Although she's from Limerick, she doesn't speak like that. Um, um, but yes I don't know who I'm going to do you'll find someone you yay it'll be, be a page be equally as depressing what we just read born she's miserable she'll die eventually oh uh, don't give her a compliment <laughs> she doesn't take compliments um, <laughs> uh, but yeah we'll be back next I'll, week actually I will write one about you and it'll be like Emma she came breastfully down the stairs <laughs> she breastfully boobied down the stairs she breastfully boobied down the stairs but she looked at me with those big breasts <laughs> <laughs> we will be back next week I don't know what we're doing next week so in terms I of the not Patreon te- yeah, I'm not to tell you so we'll figure it out we'll do something <sighs> are we not going to do another drive when are we going to do a drive you're away you're going to Birmingham yeah well Birmingham. I'm back on Thursday but I'm having a baby I'm a baby we could do it on Friday <laughs> yeah okay you're getting drive no we can't do it on Friday. We're doing the desert thing. The desert. Yeah. yeah. Okay, never mind. Record, if we record on Friday, I can record early Friday, but I'm going out Friday night. No, we can't. We can't do it anyway. So we're doing the desert island thing. So we'll do that some Desert point. island dicks. Desert island dicks, baby. Um, which, which of all of the dicks in your life would None you take? None of them. Which, no, you have to pick one. No. Would you take to the desert island? I'll tell you what I don't have to or do. Or which... I don't have to do anything Fantasy in this world dick. except die. That's it. All right, fucking Deanne. I don't have to do anything in this world except die. Which fantasy dick... Would you take to a the fake desert one. island? <laughs> Buy a fake one. Not, I don't even like not a fake to penis. any man. Go I don't, away. I don't yeah, see no, the point in a fake I, penis. It's not for me. It's not for me. God bless you. <laughs> <laughs>
like not what for I mean me. I, it's like if I am having a wank. <laughs> Don't cut that out. <laughs> if I'm having a wank. Having a wank. Having a wank. I'm not using a dildo. No, me neither. Like, I don't think I've ever done that. No, because no, like... Never. It's not required. No. It's really not. It's not required. Like, honestly and truly, it's, it's not really required. not required, like, in not any capacity. In any capacity. No. Anyway, that's the end of this week's episode. <laughs> yeah, just so. This, it's called Dick's Not Required. Dildo's not needed. Um, but we'll be back next week. Have a lovely week. Have a nice we'll week. We'll talk to you then. Carla!